Well, once again, Muslim terrorists a terrorist slaughtered innocent Islamic people extremists now control parts of the country. The Their brand of justice is brutal and deadly. Newsflash, America. These Muslim extremists are, uh, are alive and well. They are not dead. And their video is not gratuitous. And it certainly is not irrelevant. It is a warning. Welcome to the Truth About Muslims podcast, the official podcast of the Zwemer Center for Muslim Studies, where we help to educate you beyond the media. Here are your hosts, Howard and Trevor. Welcome to the Truth About Muslims podcast. Episode 8. Episode 8. Uh, we've got a great show today, but before we do that, let's do our sponsors. Yes, with Zwemer Center for Muslim Studies. Uh, the Zwemer Center equips uh, the Christian church to understand Muslims so that they can effectively reach them with the gospel. Right, and Columbia International University. Columbia educates students from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Glory! Yep, that's ciu.edu and zwemercenter.com. Right, so today, what do we got? Episode 8, we've got an interview with uh, author Matthew Stone. Excellent book. And yeah. a funny guy. Very funny. Right. Uh, reaching the heart and mind of Muslims. That sounds exactly up our alley. Yeah, uh, Matthew has uh, two PhDs. Two. Right, he That's has more right. degrees than the thermometer. <laughs> you heard that correctly, two right. PhDs. Uh, he's got one in philosophy of religion, specifically uh, focused on Islam as well. He has a, a PhD in psychology. Right, and he's also worked with Muslims, right? Yes, yes he has. He, uh, well, we'll let him tell <laughs> yes, you. He has. <laughs> we'll let you tell, uh, let him tell about his story. And we're going to have a, uh, a phone interview where he's going to share with a little bit about his experience. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Matthew Stone. Okay, so we're here uh, with uh, Matthew Stone. He is the author of a new book called Reaching the Heart and Mind of Muslims. And uh, I've personally read the book. I think it's excellent. And to be quite honest, this is the, this is the one book whenever I'm, I'm lecturing at a church and somebody says, okay, kind of break all this down for me in the form of a recommendation of reading, uh, a, a reading list. And I say, okay, the first book you need to get, and Matthew, I'm sure you think I'm really kidding here, but I'm not, is actually your book, Reaching the Heart and Mind of Muslims. So we're going <laughs> to... Don't, wor- don't, don't worry, we're going to edit that pause. Really? <laughs> Go ahead, I mean, I'll use that for my uh, obituary. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's, 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 let's keep going. So... Okay. <laughs> sorry. All right. So uh, we're really excited to have you on the phone here, Matthew, and uh, could you just share with us a little bit about uh, why you wrote the book and uh, what is in the book? Why should people read it? Wow. Uh, thanks, Trevor. I um, wrote it, in, in, in kind of funny, because I wasn't thinking about writing it, but I was talking to uh, uh, Warren Larson, an old friend, and I was uh, complaining because I couldn't find a book or uh, a course in uh, Muslim studies that would kind of cover what I wanted to cover. I mean, there there are lots of good books out there, but I wanted something that really um, went beyond the usual approach of, let's try to find the weaknesses within Islam, right, and then exploit those rather than... uh, you know, uh, loving uh, Muslims, or for me, even more importantly, and I think this is a large part of the focus of the book, particularly from the very beginning, was let's quit thinking about Islam and treating it as if 
it's one big thing. Instead of doing that, let's look at individual Muslims and then collections of Muslims in groups where those groups may have differing interpretations of the Quran and Hadith, the same for the Prophet, so that we begin to look at the diversity that exists within, you know, among Muslims, rather than trying to paint with overly broad brushstrokes and make all kinds of errors um, in assuming that we know what individual Muslims believe when in fact they, they don't, which we unfortunately see so much of in the uh, in the media. Right. So we've been talking about this these kind of topics on the show about how not to just compartmentalize these um, Muslims into one type of belief, like, for instance, ISIS. So when right. you have a group of people that are so diverse in their beliefs, even when it comes from one text like the Quran, um, how do we as people learn how to uh, know how to deal with Muslims or reach out to Muslims, even though they're so diverse? Like, what, what, what would you say a, a, our game plan could be? Because, I, you know, I think handles are pretty helpful uh, when saying, okay, this is what this people group believes, but, uh, but we, we kind of have this issue, we have this problem that, that Muslims are so much diverse in that. Right. I think part of the problem is language, and, and when we have a term, we begin to treat that term as the reality rather than the thing to which it points. So when we have a, a term like Islam, we treat Islam as the reality, as this big thing, rather than individual Muslims are the, uh, the reality. And for me, I think it is greatly liberating, hmm. that, that fact, because because you can't know what every Muslim believes, or even groups of Muslims believe, or even the diverse opinions within, within groups of Muslims, it forces you to deal with the Muslim who is in front of you, and to very, very much be astute, listen to them, and let their explanation of what they believe and what they do be your, uh, be your guide. And then, um, you know... Uh, if you need to generalize that a little bit, um, you can generalize to that particular group of Muslims. Uh, but always be cautious that you're not overgeneralizing that. Uh, but what, and, but what uh, we hear in the in the media and what we're even hearing sometimes from the academic community is that there is quote unquote a true nature of Islam. And so, how would you deal with the right. question of what is the true nature of Islam? I mean, they do have a Quran, they do have a set of beliefs. What would that produce in your mind? Right. Yeah. For me, that's utter ignorance. Um, that. Um, wow. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, to be, I, I, you know, to be generous. Um, is I think that um, that's exactly pointing out my point, that kind of essentialist view that there's an essence to to Islam is just uh, so clearly wrong given the diversity. And the trouble is when you begin to say, oh, there is a single essence, and I can determine what that essence is by me picking up the Quran and the Hadith and reading those, then we make major mistakes and that border on the border on prejudice and discrimination um, because it ignores the lived reality. The lived reality of Muslims is that there have been multiple interpretations of the Quran. How who are we to say which among those interpretations is the true interpretation? We don't have access to that when Muslims themselves disagree. Right. Uh, the same thing with uh, the same thing with hadith. I think it's grossly arrogant 
for Christians or the media or whomever to say, I have it figured out. You know, I don't like, as a Christian, I don't like it when a Muslim comes to me and says, this is what your Bible teaches, and when what they say does not correspond to how I see the Bible, or this is the significance of Jesus, when I don't see the significance of Jesus that way. I think it's arrogant of them, and it's arrogant of us to do the same thing. I think it's better if we acknowledge our ignorance and quit talking about essences and listen to that precious person who is in front of us and what they believe. Now, I know I said that very stridently, but I do that deliberately because I think it really gets in the way and sabotages us in our relationships with people and with Muslims when we assume, oh, ISIS represents the true Islam, the peaceful Muslims are not living the true Islam. That's nonsense. Right, that's what Sam Harris said. You know, there are multiple interpretations of that book. The Quran is just a book. You know, it's just sitting there. It requires interpretation, and historically, you know, it has been interpreted in multiple ways, and it's, just, and it's interpreted in multiple ways today. No different than the Bible, you know? That's why we have so many different denominations, because people choose to interpret it in so many diverse ways, you know? Which is confusing for Muslims, and, um, and then they seize upon one and say that's the essence, when that doesn't represent what the vast majority of Christians even believe. So, you know, apologize if I was a little strident, but it's a bit frustrating to to listen to that, because I think it sabotages us, and when it sabotages us, then we fail in reaching out to precious Muslims. So so you say that it it sabotages us, and actually... uh sabotages our witness as well, or even our desire to witness. Could you could you build on that a little bit? Help us understand what are the things that we're doing to self-sabotage before we can even be able to get to the gospel with Muslims? Right. Uh, for example, if, if you assume that, um, you know, let me give you an example. I hear it over and over in the media, more that leans toward thoughts, but um, the... Um, notion that Muslims practice taqiyya, you know what I mean? That's dissimulation or that they lie. So explain um, that term, taqiyya. Yeah, taqiyya would be where a Muslim could say something that wasn't true, a lie, um, in, you know, uh, and typically, um, although that is practiced only among Shia, and not all Shia agree completely on that, Sunnis, it's, it's not practiced, it's actually condemned largely by Sunnis. Um, and and yet, when you hear, uh, you know, the media talk, it's like, oh, it's practiced by all Muslims, and the effect of that is, therefore, you know, as a country, we can't trust them, uh, we can't negotiate them, because of why? They're liars. Um, and, and, and that has hugely practical and negative implications in how we approach someone if we think they're just going to lie to us about what they truly believe. When, as you dig down and you, you, you're dealing with an individual, you know, Muslim, and talk to them, you'll hear many of them say that, that you know, it's, uh, it, that is not what we, what we believe. Of course, the trouble with that is that in the media go, oh, well, they're practicing Dagia right now with me, you know. <laughs> uh, so it gets to this paranoia where you can't trust them at all. The trouble then is then you don't approach them. You right. have no interaction with them at all. 
And I don't find that a very helpful way to uh, to talk to someone about the Lord, you know? Right, if you can't trust them. Well, that makes yeah, sense. you that, shoot yourself in the foot. That makes sense why that we talked about a representative from Oklahoma saying that you cannot trust anyone who says they are Muslim, that you should be weary of anybody that says they're Muslim. So he's operating out of that foundational belief right, that says that right. he's probably lying and I can't actually ever know who's telling the truth. He might be a terrorist. He might not. I have no idea. And so right. he's weary of every Muslim. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm a New Yorker. Uh, sometimes I can get to thinking about the South in that way. It doesn't particularly help me, right? <laughs> hey, now. Dealing hey, with now. The people from the South. <laughs> and then I realize when I talk to them that some of them are actually quite nice. Well, you I know? appreciate that. <laughs> Southern <laughs> hospitality. <laughs> yeah, and probably the same way with people from the South. But I think in a really concrete way, it's just very, it's really sabotaging. But I think deep down, Often that's motivated because people feel utterly inadequate about reaching out to Muslims. Well, acknowledge that. Acknowledge that you feel inadequate. Acknowledge that you're scared. There's nothing wrong with that, you know? And begin to deal with that in healthy ways. And that's a large part of what I deal with in the book, about the beliefs and the thoughts that we have that get in the way, that cause us to have fear and anxiety about reaching out to Muslims. There are ways to overcome that that are that are biblically based, you know, and that's really what I wanted to address. Because often, when when we Christians look at reaching out to Muslims, we began to see the Muslim as the problem, when really a lot of times it has to do with the way that we're thinking and the emotions that come up within us that are really problematical. And um, if we don't deal with that, we uh, we are missing an opportunity to witness to people who are who are loved by God and who who need the gospel as much as anybody else. Right. I find it interesting that uh, the solutions that you kind of put forth has for our listenership, at least, that they have to go and meet Muslims. They have to go and yeah. and, and have relationships, and because I, I don't know, I just feel like um, it's so easy for everyone to kind of fall into the us versus them. This is what they all are. Yeah. And then it I, I, right. it causes division, you know. There's no way to to reconcile that. But you're saying they need to go and become students. They need to go and sit with these Muslims and become friends with them, have relationships with them. That's that's right. that's uh, uh, that's that seems really tough for uh, a lot of people. What where do you why do you think that is? Why do you think that we have such a hard time um, not character, characterizing um, Muslims and and uh, people of Islamic faith? Well, it wouldn't be the first group because I look. You know, as we look uh, through the history of the U.S., and or any country, I mean, it's not the U.S. is bad, but we go through these different historical times when we demonize a particular group. We did it with the Chinese, right. we did it with the Italians, we did it with the Jews, we did it with the Irish, we did it with the African Americans, you know, and now it's largely the Arabs, and those prejudices get supported by the media, and I think it, it's really because we have this deep down fear or anxiety about the other. And and I think a healthier way would be, let's begin to deal with that anxiety and overcome that. Um, so why do we have such a fear of the other? I mean, this seems to be what Paul's dealing with in the New Testament as well, in the Jerusalem Council. Uh, you know, we have... Gentiles coming to faith, and it's almost like, so can they come to faith, one, and then two, what should that look like? How should they worship? This is a human problem, but 
you know, with your background, I'm just kind of curious, why is that? Well, <laughs> because I think humans are essentially crazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's your professional I mean, opinion. For Christians, Christians, I shouldn't be a big surprise because of the fall, right? right. And so <laughs> we our emotions are going to be out of whack. Our thoughts are going to be out of whack. And I think when we begin to think in really unhelpful, unhelpful ways like, I must be absolutely safe, I must no, um, you know, I, uh, I, uh, it would be horrible if uh, I made a mistake in witnessing to these to these Muslims. Um, uh, you can't trust them; they're terrible, horrible, and awful. Those kinds of irrational beliefs, um, you know, are not just applied toward Muslims, but all kinds of all kinds of situations. People have those thoughts about heights. They have those. You know about driving on on the freeway. You know, uh, and and the same unhelpful beliefs can get applied to Muslims and cause those self sabotaging behaviors. Um, and I think there's this. You know, that's why I love the example of Jesus so much when he just through his actions counters that. You know, with the, uh, you know, with the, uh, you know, people from different groups who are even seen as you know, intrinsically unclean, and Jesus chooses, you know, to ignore that and through his actions show the irrationality of those of those beliefs. I mean, he, he's just such a wonderful, wonderful witness to how we can be. Um, you know, he certainly didn't embrace fear toward de- dealing with the other. No, I mean, if you think about it, uh, just his interactions with a leper, uh, a woman who's been bleeding, uh, yeah, Samaritan, uh, you know, yeah, people yeah, that are exactly. unclean, people that the whole society has kind of put into this category of the other, and Jesus crosses cultural boundaries, religious boundaries, I mean, just goes all the way over into reaching, you know, non-Jews, uh, Samaritan woman, uh, a leper. I mean, you could just go down the list and trace all the interactions Jesus has. So you're saying that he's the model for what we as Christians should be uh, considering when we look at Muslims. I think so. I mean, it would be nice if Christians used Jesus as a model, you know? <laughs> it's not a bad idea. Everything not else. a bad idea. Well, it's not a novel idea, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so I do think we need to get serious about that. And the other thing that I really like about Jesus is he was actually, if we talk about being easy or difficult on people, in some ways he was quite easy on the people who didn't know the significance of him and didn't know really what it meant to believe in God and didn't even understand the full nature of God. It is the ones that supposedly knew, right, the leaders that he was the harshest on. On the other hand, he had, you know, the people who who had self-defined themselves in ways that were limiting, like the man with his mat by the well, you know? And he's like, get up, take your mat, get out of here, you know, go do something. I kind of see, that's what he's saying to us. (laughs) Come on! Whatever self-limiting belief that you have that is causing you to just sit by the well rather than get up and go out there and reach Muslims and everyone else, change that. Get up. Go, Go do something. Don't wait for you to feel secure and safe and that you need to know everything. Get up and go, you know? 
Can we talk about the media a little bit? Uh, it just seems like with CNN and Fox, liberal, conservative, kind of uh, this polarization that's happening in the media, it seems like we're inundated more than ever. I know that there's been like in newspapers back in the day with you know the Chinese that coming over to build the railroad and the characterization yeah. of them. Um, but it just seems like we have it infinitely more that's just yeah. like, you know, like I, I'm a youth pastor. And what I notice is my youth, uh, you know, I have like 30 minutes to an hour a week. But then during the week, they have all of these influences that are kind of coming in and preaching to them their own messages. It just seems like with the media today that they're, um, they're receiving the, the, our listenership, the general Christian population in the U.S. are receiving this huge amount of information or negative information against Muslims, against Islam. And, uh, and so, you know, they, it's, it's, I think it's really hard for them to kind of rise out of that and, and be Christ to them because they just keep hearing this message over and over, brainwashing. Yeah. I, I, yeah, and I think it's even more complicated because often the church sides with one branch of the media, etc., with one message. Right. And, and, and really does not take up the responsibility of looking beyond those messages to the voice of Christ. You know, um, but that's that's a scary thing if we're if we're taking sort of our theological cues through media outlets and is, is that that's yeah. possibly happening right when it comes to Muslims. I, I do think that's the case. I mean, you know, I don't like the words liberal and conservative because I think, yeah, but but you know, I mean, cause then I'm doing the very same thing that I say not to do with Muslims. Right. Simplify. Let, let me commit that sin right now. Okay. And, do um, it. Yeah, and and let's say those. Um, you know, those churches that may be a bit more liberal, well, well, you know, they might gravitate more toward MSNBC or CNN or something like that, right. NPR, and then you've got the conservative churches that have baptized um, Fox News, <laughs> etc., right? Right. And so they see it as... The trouble is that, um, you know, we, we, we... By wedding with one or the other, we don't na- navigate um, how Jesus might view the truth in in these different particular situations. And I know that's the case, because some of those media messages would be, what you need to do is fear those people, what you need to do is hate those people, right. and that is not the message of Jesus. And why would we want to wed ourselves with those kinds of messages? I think it is Unfortunately, then, we are putting um, the media or politics above our theology, and I don't like that. You know? No, no, I don't either, but I'm, I'm, I've heard some people say that, hey, I can watch this stuff, and it really doesn't affect the way that I feel about Muslims. The way that I feel about Muslims is because what I know really is going on, but when I hear all this stuff right. on the media, I'm not really affected. What are your thoughts about that? Well, that, yeah, I run a, uh, you know, I'm also a psychotherapist, and I run groups for guys who are addicted to have sex addictions, and they will often come in and go, you know, I can watch pornography and it doesn't affect me. And I go, yeah, why don't you check with your wife about that, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, what, I mean, because it insidiously, it insidiously makes you think about women in really disgusting and sinful ways, right. you know? The same thing, you're getting bombarded by a message that says that Muslims are just evil, you, you can't trust them, that affects you. It can't help but affect you, you know? Or in the same way. Or a message that says, uh, you know, Islam is just a peaceful religion. Nonsense. 
There are some interpretations of of Islam that are good. There are some interpretations of Islam that aren't. ISIS interpretation, the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, those are evil interpretations based on the consequences of those beliefs, right? Right, so that would be either the way we would refute... Like some people would be like, oh, well, you're for Muslims or you're against Muslims. You know, it, it's almost like Jesus is completely other. It's like, no, we can take the real complexity and then we can apply Jesus to that real complexity. This is a real person with real beliefs, yeah. real issues, and then deal with it at the heart of each individual. But that's so complicated, yeah. right? That's so that's not easy. <laughs> we want these evangelistic crusades and well, not crusades, obviously, but, well, you know, we want to use the C word. <laughs> I think it's easy, and we make it complicated. Oh, okay, explain. I think it is so easy, because what's the, what's the reality? We all need to find our identity in Jesus Christ. That's true of a Jew, that's true of a Muslim, that's true of anyone, you know? Right. And that's our goal. That's, that should be our goal. And when it's not, and it gets off into other things... I think we are confused and we complexify things needlessly. Mm. Help us understand a little bit about your personal journey in working with Muslims uh, and, and share a little bit about your story. I mean, we in the introduction talked a little bit about your, um, your academic background, but how about some personal experience in working with Muslims? Yeah, it was, yeah I've had a lot of personal experience working with Muslims because there was a time in my life when I considered myself a Muslim, right? <laughs> And okay, well, we didn't share that. We didn't share that in the intro, yeah, so go, yeah. go ahead and explain and so a little bit about that. I, yeah, yeah. And I, um, and, you know, that was, a, that was a phase of my life, um, and eventually came to the Lord. And, but what I realized, and I tell you that experience has been invaluable, it is the patience with which God dealt with me, mm. you know? And the process with which he, you know, didn't reject me, was loving and accepting to me throughout that whole process. And even some Christians who who were, there were some that, some that were really pushy and uh, wanted me to come up with some, you know, they had a magical formula that I needed to say certain words and that suddenly I would be different. Uh, but then there were those who were wiser and saw it as a process. And I tell you, the way that God dealt with me and the way that really loving Christians dealt with me uh, helped me to, you know, come to a real love for Jesus Christ. And I have really tried to hold on to um, to that in dealing with Muslims, that um, I want to be with them in the same way that God was with me when I was in error and, uh, you know, at I just, uh, there are times when I get frustrated with Muslims. There are times when I get frustrated with any of them, you know? There are times when I'm just just so infuriated by ISIS and going, what in the world? And I blame Islam for that. And I go, get a grip. You know, um, you got to get back to, you know, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to clean up the act. Um, he accepted us just as we are, and I realize that is my goal. That is my strategy. I guess there is one in dealing with the Muslim. Just I accept them just the way they are right now, and realize that this person in front of me was creating the image of God, and that they're and because the most infinite, infinitely valuable person in the universe died for them, that makes them infinitely valuable to me, and um, 
that I need to love them and uh, be as gentle as possible. Not hide the truth, but um, but realize that this is um, this is this process. No, no, that's an answer to your question. I think that was really um, the process of being a Muslim and realizing the hope of moving beyond. Um, uh, the Muslims themselves were wonderful, the ones that I dealt with. Not all of them. Some of them I wanted to smack upside the head, you know, but um, the um, but that's true of everybody, right? right. Yeah, that, I, I mean, I just, that's it. I, one, one thing I heard you say one time that I think was kind of life-altering, as simple as it was, was, hey, they're just people that happen to be Muslim. Right, Yeah. We, but That's we want true. we want to define them so much by their religious identity that uh, that just might not be the case, and and we think of them as somewhat different because of their uh, faith. Yeah, I mean, but beneath it all, we beneath all of that, we're creating the image of God. Beneath all of that, we are apparently very valuable to God, or at least very loved by God, and because we are loved by God, then we are valued, right? Because mm-hmm. we are loved, we are lovable. There's nothing intrinsically lovable about us, but because we are loved by God, we are lovable. And to me, that is such good news and such liberating news, and that I could be the same way toward um, Muslims or or um, or anyone else right now. I'm uh, Although I like reaching out to Muslims, I love reaching out to atheists. I, I, I love them, you know? They're just um, um, they're as crazy as I am, you know? Right. And, and still need... Um, they need... Um, you know, Psalm 84, Trevor, was the one that always hits me when it says, our hearts cry out for the living God. Our, our hearts pine for the living God. That's true for a Muslim heart as it is for our heart. Right. So if you have that assumption that because they're created in the image of God and that, that the heart that is within them is given to them by God, they're crying out for the living God, we need to be the people that represent God to them. Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy yeah. Spirit, represent the love of Christ to them. Yeah, not be an impediment and be a hater and all of those things. <laughs> be a hater, right? You know, well, well, and just drive them away. I don't understand that mentality. Well, what about apologetics, though? I mean, it seems oh, that boy. the primary <laughs> it seems that the primary motive, whenever you know you're sharing with uh, the church, it's like, well, explain to us how to uh, convert a Muslim and defend the faith. And apologetics quickly turns into polemics, and the next thing you know. They're wanting yeah. you to tell them how uh, how can I insult Muhammad or how can I take this approach and and it's very right. bizarre. I mean, what are your thoughts on all of that? I'm not big on apologetics. I think it's nice and it's a nice profession and that kind of thing. Um, to but I find apologetics is more for us, you know, becoming clear about what we believe. Mm, that's a good um, point. Not necessarily so helpful in reaching out to other people, although we. I mean, it's nice to know the truth, you know, right. that you don't want to misrepresent things when you reach out to people. But what I don't like the way, the way that apologetics has gone is it is largely a cognitive thing, you know what I mean? And most people that come to the Lord, thinking is a part of that, but it's largely the heart. It's, right. You know, emotions and all of those kinds of things. We are not Spock, you know, that are just—I mean—an apologetic assumes that everybody is Spock, and that by just whacking them with truth, that that's going to make the change. No, 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 no. I mean, it's—that's I, I, why I think you know—you try to reach, you know, 
reach them as people, people with emotions, people with value, right. also thinking people. We don't want to be, you know, just, um, Mindless. you know, um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, and be utterly irrational about it. Um, but uh, I just think apologetics is pretty weak. Right, I've never led anyone to the Lord with apologetics. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't reach the whole person, right? you know? As Jesus reached the whole person. I never heard him go, uh, did you ever hear him anywhere in the Gospel go up, you know, well, here are the three essential points about me that you need to grasp, and we need to get your systematics straight south, you right. know? But no, 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 no. He dealt with them relationally right. and touched their emotions and, and their mind. And, and that, their that's going to take know? so much more time, Matthew. I mean, we, we just don't have the time <laughs> to sit down and get to know somebody. <laughs> You're talking relationships yeah, and, here, and uh, that's tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And time is money and all of that. Right, yes, I right, understand. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, so you you shared some strategies. Uh, I don't want to say strategies, but you sh- you shared yeah. your heart in reaching Muslims. You said patience was one of them. Um, yeah. Being a student um, right. of of uh, of each individual, like you know what their what their experiences have been. What what are some other things that you would share to encourage our listenership to to reach out? For me, one of the things that I often when I often will do is be very honest that. I don't know a lot, um, and that I'm learning as much as they are, and that together we can study together to see what, um, you know, that the Bible says or, you know, those kinds of things. I mean, Carl Medeiros has been fantastic in that in mm. that uh, process, and I know he gets beaten up by people, but I don't think he really cares that much. Um, <laughs> Good for him. Good for him. You know, because I think he's just so largely successful because he has this thing of loving Muslims, you know, hanging out with them, talking about life, and, uh, and you know, um, Paul Tillich, who was just this utterly liberal theologian, had this, what he called the method of correlation, where he would correlate um, theology with um, the the person's kind of lived existential situation. I like the method of cor- I call it a more method of correlation too, and I've seen Carl do it, and I really like doing it. Is you take what the person is going through and you make that connection with with Jesus or the Word of oh, with, yeah. Word of God, not in an apologetic kind of way, right. but common ground, kind of. Yeah, you know. Um, but even those like, terms are loaded, common ground these days. I mean, it's almost like we're being yeah. soft on on Islam because you want to meet someone where they're at. That's soft? I think what's soft is to go the apologetic route or just to hate, because that's very easy to do. Wow. The hard, the hard thing, the hard thing is getting in there, being in relationship. I mean, anybody who's married knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, I don't know what, what you're talking about. I love my wife. <laughs> my wife loves me. <laughs> <laughs> I have to tell you, the first year, at the end of my first year of marriage, my wife said, was this easy for you? And I said, yeah. And she goes, oh, that's what I was afraid you were going to say. Things are going to change. <laughs> 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 I loved that because, you know, this is not supposed to be easy. When I, when, when, when God describes marriage as like bone of bone and flesh of flesh, I think the word we have in English that describes that process is complicated. 
Yeah, you know? it's complicated. Um, this well, is a complicated process. I think reaching another human being with love and their faults and our faults is really complicated. Hating, that's easy. Absolutely. You know, wow, we've gone good. the easy route, you yeah. know? Let's go the difficult route of love. That's good stuff. Um, as, as we come to a close, I, I was thinking in terms of some of the things you've been doing here recently uh, with some of the think tanks. Could you share with us yeah. a little bit about some of the uh, participation you've had in, uh, in yeah. think tanks? Yeah, uh, there are some think tanks in Washington, D.C. I'm, I'm not going to give the names right now because... No, no problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. But they're long established think tanks that are beginning to look at a, a topics of uh, Muslims in the United States. And one of the beautiful things that, that happened is that I was going there uh, and I always laugh because there are Muslims, there are Jews, and there are Christians. And I went, you know, here I was, raised a Jew, became a Muslim, and now a Christian. So I went, I would get to represent all three groups. When that I, sounds like the beginning you know, of a joke. I, right. I lived the whole history of Western religion, you know. <laughs> um, it is, uh, but the beautiful thing is that you, you're sitting across from, from Muslims and, and, and Jews and Christians, who are, like, how, how do we cooperate uh, as citizens in the United States, right, on, uh, on really difficult issues? Be safe, uh, and at the same time, um, live out this wonderful American tradition of religious liberty. And I find that so, so exciting and, mm. uh, and uh, you know, there are difficult moments, and a lot of the work happens after the meeting when we go out for, um, you know, a late, uh, a late Reuben sandwich, you know, or something like that. You know, <laughs> I just want to know uh, what kind of restaurant you guys find where the Christians, Muslims, and Jews can all agree <laughs> on something to eat. I mean, right. that sounds complicated. Well, <laughs> it was a very that's a very good question, Trevor, because the first time they said, "Well, you know, there's a bar really close," and the Muslim said, "Let's not." <laughs> and and the, the Jews were like, why not? You know. And then the other one, but then um, you know, uh, there was uh, one uh, barbecue place. Wow! I'm like, no, we don't want to go there. You know, right? Pork barbecue does not float my boat. So um, it, it was really interesting to see that that di- di- dynamic. And so, if it happens on those little issues, you can imagine how it happens when really big really big issues, but we learn to trust each other and listen to each other there. It's really nice. I have to tell you, I was, um, one time I got a phone call from one of the guys who was in the group. He says, uh, uh, you know, the meeting was supposed to start at six or seven, something like that. And he said, can we meet for a couple hours before that? Because, uh, I really want to know how, a Christian feels when they worship. I really don't know what that's like. And we had a great time, you know, um, talking about that. I mean, that's for me the real, the real stuff that happens. The rest of the stuff talking about, um, radicalization and de-radicalization, I mean, that's fine, you know, but when you get down to hard issues and understanding each other as human beings, that's for me more exciting. Well, I I can't help but ask, and I, I don't know if you want to talk about this. It'll probably be the last topic. Um, and, and I've mentioned to you, we want to have you back on the show as, as often as you can. But I know that everybody's question, because of your background and your training, they're wondering, what is 
the psychological profile or the profile of uh, a radical, a terrorist, not even just a Muslim terrorist, but a, a terrorist? That's the big question everybody's wanting to know. How do we know who these people are? And what are your thoughts on that? Right. There's a lot of research that's been done, a lot of bad research, but a lot of really, really good research, in the, particularly in the last few years. And overall, there's great consensus. I mean, the uh, New York Police Department, FBI, sometimes disagrees on this. Wow. But everyone else tends to agree that there is no good profile of a terrorist. And that, um, that we are struck by the ordinariness of, of, of terrorists and the diversity that's there. There's some broad brush strokes that they tend to be within a particular, they tend to be male, they tend to be within a particular age group, you know, uh, et cetera. But those are such broad categories that they don't help you identify them in any way. You right. know what I mean? Yeah, they'd be then just about everybody in my neighborhood. Mosque, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you go to a mosque and everybody is a suspect. Well, that's not real helpful. You know? <laughs> that might be part of the problem. <laughs> Yeah. The people are so afraid and, <laughs> yeah. and lumping everyone together. Yeah, and and not to mention the violation of civil rights uh, yeah, along yeah, those yep. lines. You know, if you're uh, if just by being a Muslim in a particular age group, you're a suspect. That's pretty pathetic, you right. know, and not real helpful. I mean, how do you use that to? I mean, we only have um, limited resource, limited money, and when you paint with such broad brushstrokes. That's not helpful for identifying the terrorists. So now the emphasis seems to be on what is the process of radicalization, right? Oh, that That's sounds interesting. Yeah. And then what would, if, if we focus on the process of radicalization, then what would be the process of de-radicalization? I'm excited about that rather than the nonsense of what's coming up with a pro, come up with a profile. Right. It's too broad to be of any help to us at all, right? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad that we talked today primarily about reaching Muslims, but I'm certain that listeners are thinking, can we also talk about the process? And so I'm hoping we can have you back and talk about some of the latest research that's been done about that process. And maybe that would kind of uh, bring back some of those fears and get us from keep us from, as you said, sabotaging ourselves and our witness. Yeah, I, 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 would, I would love to do that. Wonderful. And love to hear from people who think that I'm utterly crazy and I need to consider consider other things that I haven't considered and have that dialogue go on. That would be fun, you know? Yeah. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, and uh, we look forward to doing this again. Okay. okay. All the best. All right. Well, that was a great interview. Trevor, what do you think? Uh, excellent. Excellent. I really appreciate uh, his book. And I think that he is able to uh, only in an hour give a little bit of an overview. And that's why we want to make his book the resource of the week. Right. I, you know, listeners, I, w- I want you to think uh, I don't want you to think that don't this was think don't <laughs> listen. <laughs> I don't, don't want do you to anything. think that this is all that is. to know. I mean, obviously, he has a ton more. So please, like read his book. Resource of the week is going to be that book. Yeah, he has the Kindle version is on sale. It's five ninety nine. And, and I wasn't exaggerating in the interview when I said, um, this is the book that I recommend to people when they, after sharing in a conference or at a church and they say, you know, I want to know more. What should I read? I do recommend this book as a starting point. Right. And does he have other books? 
No, he's got a few in the works, uh, but he has a lot going on. Like he said, he's working with some think tanks and he's also got a pretty um, busy practice as well. So he, he is a lot, you know, like I said, two PhDs. He's got a pretty amazing uh, ministry going on right now. Right. It's actually a privilege because he's a busy, busy man. And he came and he did this uh, interview with us. He was gracious. It was awesome. We had a great time. Yeah. So what did you think, Howard? Uh, actually, you know, it's really, really interesting just to kind of, um, hear people that really have a heart for Muslims. It's, it's different. It's like, uh, it's really different than the media, right? To the media, you kind of get this sense that, uh, you know, we're against Islam, but you, you don't really have this sense that they actually know any Muslims. You well, know, like, that, that was what was so challenging, uh, or even enlightening is when he said, uh, people are often accused that want to sit down and sort of humanize Muslims as being soft on Islam. And his oh. perspective was, no, being uh, soft is the one who is a hater because right. it's so easy to do that. You don't have to think, you just hate. You don't have to sit down right. and get to know a person. That was challenging. Good stuff. And, and it was a good point. Like, I hate being categorized. I hate being pigeonholed because I know I'm more than just that one element that they might have noticed, right? And then we're doing this to, to Muslims, and then we're being accused of being soft. It's really bizarre. It's funny because, you know, listeners, you don't know this, but Howard is very talented in worship Ooh. leading, but oh, thank you because <laughs> something about when you see him, you know, he's Korean, you just assume like he's really good at math or something. Right. No, no. I've, I've actually had people like if they've never seen me lead, <laughs> lead worship, they'll, they'll sit down and be like, Oh boy, this is not going to be good. Cause I'm very Asian. I'm very Asian. I do have facial hair, which is bizarre, but uh, I mean, they're, they, they think, Oh, this guy can't speak English probably. And then he's going to start singing these songs and it's going to be awkward. And he comes out with this bluesy worship and you're like, whoa, that was a pleasant Ooh, bluesy. Surprise. That's nice. Yeah. A little bit of soul there. I appreciate that. I didn't know that. Okay. Well, yeah. Anyway. So I think what he helped us to do is what um, really we all need to be doing all the time is start actually getting to know people. Right. Yeah. And that's not easy. I, I agree with him. I think he made a really good point. What's easy is to hate. What's hard is to get to know real people, to care about them, to have patience with them in their process, just like Christ has patience for us. I mean, I know in my life it's true. And and uh, and, and really make an impact that way, one by one. Right. Because it's not going to be this huge campaign that, you know, we're going to I don't know what, what we think of when we think in the media, but the media is very much like um, they, they manipulate it so that that uh, Islam or these Muslims are an enemy to our faith. And I think a lot of times uh, the vast majority of Muslims, they just want to eat some sandwiches. They just want to go to school. They just want to be left alone, right? They're not sitting there trying to convert every white person or every black person or every Asian person to to Islam, right? I mean, there obviously has been instances in the past, but this is very, like, like uh, uh, Matthew Stone said, it's complicated. It's not that easy. It is complicated. Think of it in the terms of Christians. Not every Christian really has any desire whatsoever to engage in the Great Commission. And then there are Christians that are very missionally minded. Right. Um, there are Christians that are theologically driven. There are Christians that are politically driven, right. uh, sociologically driven. And there's a whole complexity of a person when it comes to uh, a religion and a religious text. And I think he brought all that home for us and, and kind of broke down the oversimplification that we do. Right. And I really liked what he said about apologetics. I mean, I do applaud these brilliant minds that come up with um, these volumes of apologetics and, and texts and stuff. But uh, at the same time, I love what he said. It's helpful for us as a believer, but it's really not helpful to convert, uh, to, to lead someone to the Lord with, uh, with using you know, philosophy. I mean, really, it is a step of faith. To follow Christ is a step of faith. So you're not going to be able to lead them all the way to the point where they're like, yeah, absolutely, Jesus is, you know, it, it, it is a step of faith. And I think that's what we kind of have to remember. So it, it maybe is a tool if, if you can use it well, 
Well, I think what he was saying is that it's a tool, but it's one tool. Right. And you can't just minister to the mind. Right. You and can't minister to the mind as though it's this sort of part of the body that's separated from the rest of the body. You have a whole person. You have to minister to the whole person. Right. And I think you have to have a heart for Muslims from the very get-go. I don't think evangelism works when you don't care about the people. Well, that's where he was saying we sabotage. Right. That was that was enough to think about. Uh, ask yourself that, you know, listener, have I sabotaged uh, my desires to reach out to a Muslim? Have right. I sabotaged the whole process before I even got to meet a Muslim? And right. if so, how? And then ask yourself, how do I how do I correct it? That would be something worth writing in about. How have you, or do you think you have uh, sabotaged your your evangelistic strategy with Muslims? Right. Well, that's it for this week. I'm so glad we got to have Matthew Stone on today. And uh, as always, we want to hear your comments, just like Trevor had mentioned, uh, um, right in. And uh, that'll help shape the show. But uh, we really appreciate you guys for listening. Yeah, make sure you check out his book on Amazon, uh, Matthew Stone, Reaching the Heart and Mind of Muslims. Thank you. We'll see you next week.